I'd be willing to bet that there isn't a single person listening to this message this morning who, when you got in the car to head to the campus where you were worshiping, that you either thought to yourself or you said to those in the car, hey, I think it'd be really fun if I blindfolded myself and then tried to drive to church. I bet nobody here thought that, said that, tried that, and I'm really glad that you did not do that. You see, if you put on a blindfold, you're probably just like anybody else that's ever been blindfolded. The first thing you do when you get a blindfold on is you check what you can see. Because we would all rather see than be blindfolded. We want to know where we're going. And so I want, and your leadership wants, you to sense that the blindfolded has been lifted and you can see where we're going as a church family. And we want to walk through another series over the next month in order to help us all see better about where God is leading us. So I want to think back again to how things have have moved forward over the last four years. I came here in the middle of 2015. And when I came, we, we did a little sermon series that fall called Love Where You Live. And it was a great series, super encouraging, being thinking about your neighbors and the people around you, where you live and how you could love them. And for, for our family, it was personally challenging because we were not just challenged to love where we live in terms of people. We were just trying to figure out if we actually loved where we now lived. And so for us, we are working through that transition. Now, by the time the beginning of 2016 got here, uh, we had really wrestled with and come to terms with this is exactly where God wants us. And we had really decided we actually do love where we live. And we wanted to begin to be a part of that. And so I stepped into 2016 ready to preach my very first vision sermon for our church family and that particular year the vision sermon was about three waves that I believed God wanted to sweep over our church family and into the community and the world and those three waves were a wave where God just brought us together in unity a wave of unity the other wave was a wave of generosity, that God had just sweep through us with a wave of generosity to accomplish His purpose. And then the third wave was the wave of disciple-making, that God had just rushed through us and that we could help others come to know and follow Jesus Christ as we come to know and follow Him. Now looking back here from 2019 to the beginning of 2016, I can tell you that I believe we have seen a wave of God's unity sweep through our church family. Our church leadership and our church volunteers and staff, our deacons, and we have experienced a great alignment in unity in moving towards following the Lord as a church family. And it has been an amazing experience to be a part of God just flowing over us with this wave of unity. I think that's been the most significant and biggest wave that we've experienced six, since 2016. 
When it comes to the wave of generosity, I think we've seen a smaller yet significant wave of generosity. I feel like our church has responded to opportunities of giving of your lives and your, your time and your, your resources to fund the vision with who you are. And it's been a great thing to see. I mean, just if you look at the giving in our church, it's actually increased somewhere in the neighborhood of 14% since 2016. And that, that is a wave of generosity that is blessing our church family. I've made mention of the fact that God is doing that in our church family in previous sermons uh, this year. When, when it comes to the wave of, of disciple-making, I feel like that's been more like a swell than a wave and if there was any area that I felt the Lord was leading us to focus in on in the coming year it's focusing in on the wave of disciple making it's not that God is not working there he is in fact this year we've had um, an increase of about 18 percent in the number of people who have decided to follow Christ and be baptized here in our church family. And, you know, that, that indicates we, we're having a swell, but, but that's not anything like what I think God wants to do with our church family in the area of making disciples. And so I'm, I'm wanting and, and we're working towards seeing God continue to work in that area. And that's kind of where we came out of in 2016. In 2017, we, we focused in on what it means to follow Jesus Christ with the vision of love God, love people, help others do the same. 2017 was when we identified that phrase and we began to use that phrase to represent the vision of who we want to be and how we want to live in our community, to love God, love people, and help others do the same. And that has become common language. And the hopes is that that common language would lead the way towards a, a culture that believes that what we're really doing here is we're striving to love God and love people for the purpose of helping other people love God and love people so that they can then help other people love God and love people. That became who we are through 2017. 2018, we focused on from the beginning of the year, our vision series was about new life in Christ. And our hope was in 2018 that we would set the stage for the development of this culture where loving God, loving people, and helping others do the same would thrive and flourish. And what we did is we simply put before our church family, hey, we believe that if this is not a place where broken people can find healing, if this is not a place where lost people can find Christ, if this is not a place where people who need a new life in Christ can't come in and say, this is my life, this is where I'm at, this is all the mess that my life has become, and I need help, if this can't be that kind of place, then we're not going to be able to help people find new life in Christ. And we just wanted to be a place where people could be honest. They could come and they could say, I need help. And they could find it from people who also realize they need as much help as you can imagine. And that new life in Christ is our pursuit, which means we are all experiencing levels of recovering 
into a new life following Christ. And then we kicked off 2019. In 2019, we kicked off this vision where we talked about the fact that that really when you consider who we are and where we are, in light of God's Word, we are where we are, when we are, by God's design, so that we might find God and follow Him. That God's placed every single one of us at this moment, as a church family, in this place, at this time of the development of Williamson County, so that we individually and collectively as a church might find the Lord and decide we're going to follow Him no matter what. That we would understand this is our moment. This is our right here, right now moment where as a church family, if we find God and follow Him, we will be in a perfect position to help everybody in this county and beyond. That God gives us opportunity to help to find God and follow Him. And so we've talked about that all year. In fact, the whole launching of the Joshua series, Take the Land, is about us seeing our moment to cross our Jordan rivers and taking those steps into uncharted territory and being the people that God's called us to be right here and right now, which means we can't be the people we were 50 years ago. we got to be the people that God wants us to be right now to reach the people right now where we live. This is our moment. We've talked about being outposts where we live, that when we gather in this place, we then disperse. After God has spoken to us and worked in our hearts, we disperse to outposts from where we display and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the people who live in proximity to us, the people who are close to us, we have the opportunity to lead closer to Jesus Christ. We are living in outposts and we have a plan where we live to seize this right here, right now moment and help people find God. That's who we want to be. That's our ambition. To love God, love people, and help others do the same. Right here where we live right now when we live so here we are launching into this new series living generously and the heart behind this series is that we as a church family would simply see all the ways we need to take our very next step so that others right where we live might be able to follow Jesus Christ with us. I don't know if you remember back in January when we did that series, I talked about this vision workshop that your six directional pastors and then six church members went through together. One of the things that I mentioned out of that workshop was the fact that we had a a conversation around pumpkins. Remember that conversation we talked about pumpkins and what pumpkins looked like if they were grown inside of a jar? That if a pumpkin is grown inside of a jar, that pumpkin never becomes the pumpkin it was intended to be. It only conforms to the size of the jar. And we talked about that we recognized together in our workshop that there were some jars that were keeping each of us individually and possibly our entire church from becoming the church God meant for us to be. We are restrained by jars from becoming what God intended us to be. We're like, we got to break out of our jars. 
And some of the jars that we talked about that we felt like might be restricting us, one of them was the jar of just making, making sure that people think I'm doing better than I really am. You know, my image cultivation. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm not as needy for the Lord as, as what I really am when I'm around people. I'd like them to know that I'm actually doing better than I really am. And we are afraid that there are times when we don't feel comfortable just saying, hey, I'm not doing okay right now. Hey, I'm really hurting right now. I'm really needing help right now. And we just want to break that jar and say, hey, wherever we are, however we are, we want to walk together as the body of believers and not be worried about shame or, or, or guilt when we're not doing okay, but no, we're going to find help to, to walk with us so we move forward and break out of that jar of image. Another one of those jars that we're thinking about is fear. You know, I'm, af- I'm afraid to trust because, because I've been betrayed. I'm afraid to, to love and really risk selfless love that's costly and potentially, potentially very risky. I, I'm, I'm really afraid to love because when I've tried to love, I've found that I've been hurt. I'm afraid to step out in faith because I tried that before and it it just didn't work out like I thought it would. So we have all of these fears that might be restricting us. We just want to break out of those jars of fear. And Then the, the third one we identified as we were talking together about our personal jars, our church jars, was the jar of preferences. And we all just agreed that everyone, including us, we like what we like, and we want what we like. And that's just kind of who we are. There's nothing wrong with liking what you like and wanting what you like. Preferences are not evil. They're just a reality of who we are. We like what we like. We want what we like. And what we felt like is that God was saying, but if you're going to follow me, you've got to like what I like more than what you like, if there's a difference. If you follow me, You've got to decide that you want what I want more than what you want if there's a difference. You've got to surrender yourself to follow me because what I like and what I want, the Lord says, is actually what you'll come to realize you should have liked and should have wanted. So surrender. So we're going to break out of that jar of preferences, just surrender our lives again and again to the Lord. And the hope was that that by doing that, we could become more and more the church God wants us to be. And so that, that whole illustration, that metaphor has just been hanging with me all year long. In fact, after the series, I went to our, to our staff and I, I brought some pumpkin seeds into our stand-up meeting. And I said, I threw these pumpkin seeds out. I said, who here is going to join me in trying to grow some pumpkins? Because I had this grand vision. You know, this is back in the spring. You don't plant pumpkins until the summer and you let them grow so they get really big by the fall. So you have fall pumpkins. All right, so I, I threw these out plenty of time to make plans. And I had this personal grand vision of growing this pumpkin vine with all of these huge, luscious pumpkins. I was thinking about how I'd, I'd stack up my pumpkins that I grew in my vine on the stage. And I said, look at these big old pumpkins. This is what a pumpkin's supposed to be like when it's not grown in a jar. And I had this great vision moment. I had aspirations for this moment with massive pumpkins. So I went home, I planted my pumpkin seeds. I made my own compost. I, I mean, I'm, ser- I'm serious about growing some pumpkins. Look at the picture. 
of uh, my first little picture of the pumpkins that I'm, I'm growing in my yard. See if we can pull that up. There we go. So I've got this little planter box, and you can see on the left and right, you've got little bitty pumpkin plants. This was a wonderful moment in my life. <laughs> Seeds were coming up. I'm, I'm seeing the big pumpkins. I'm seeing having to rearrange my entire yard for the fact that I've got so many pumpkins in it. I mean, so I'm seeing it. So the next picture, a few weeks later, look at this. I've got serious plants coming on here. Two big-time plants. Now the next picture, let's look at this. Look at this. I got not just two plants now, I got two flourishing plants and another plant in the middle saying, I want to catch up to the big boys next to me. I mean, this is a great situation. I'm, I'm literally believing this is going to be the greatest moment of my pastoral life. <laughs> Next picture. Hey, how'd that get in there? <laughs> Did you guys slip that picture in there? Okay, that's not pumpkins. Here we go. Next slide. You can see how they're flourishing there, and they're growing. They're getting bigger. Next slide. Look at this. S something's going wrong. And now the one on the right, you can barely tell, but it's got a little bloom there. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe it's giving its energy to the bloom. I don't know what's going on here. And I was a little discouraged. I was like, uh-oh, something's not right. Next picture. Yeah, the two on the right, gone. This is the most recent picture, and that's all I got with a pumpkin plant on the left. Like today, if you go to my house, you're going to see this little lone pumpkin plant that is screaming out, you're not going to have pumpkins this fall, sucker. <laughs> a colossal fail. I had a grand vision. I didn't have the right time or the right skills or the right resource. I didn't have the right something. And because I didn't have the right something, the, the vision died on the vine. Listen, I do not want that to be FBG's story. And so we're doing this series, Living Generously. This morning, all, my goal is to just create a, a theological foundation for why we exist as a church family. And we're going to do that by reading through parts of Ephesians. So open your Bible to Ephesians. <clears throat> the first point we're going to establish from Ephesians. Now what I would encourage you to do is read the whole book of Ephesians this week. I think you'll find it very helpful and informative for theological foundation for our reason to exist. We'll come back to Ephesians even next week. So if you read Ephesians this week, you're going to be really helping your own engagement in this series. The first point that I want to establish theologically for a basis for our existence is that God in His rich glory, mercy, and grace has saved us through our faith in Jesus Christ so that we are now, because of the riches of our Heavenly Father, a part of His family. Because of God's riches in grace, mercy, through our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and for the gift of eternal life, we have been brought into the family of God by our wealthy Father. Are you with me? 
All right, let's look at it. Verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Drop down to verse 17. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. What, what you hear when you read through the first chapter of Ephesians is you hear terms like father, riches, inheritance, adoption. And what you're getting is a picture here of the wealth of a heavenly father in grace, mercy, and glory. And he has adopted a people, individuals, through their faith in Jesus Christ to be a part of his family and experience the benefit of his inheritance. And so we, through faith in Jesus Christ, been brought into his family, adopted, so that God is our Father and we have inherited the riches of his glorious grace, mercy, and glory. That's the picture. We've been brought into a family. Somewhere in the neighborhood of about 49 years ago, um, there was a, a man and a woman <clears throat> 49 years ago who decided that they would adopt someone 49 years ago. They had to get $1,200 for the cost of the adoption. So back in 1969, I cost $1,200. That's a very cheap adoption. I understand you only get what you pay for. <laughs> Here I am. My mom and dad decided that they would pay whatever it cost in order to have me in their family. And just a couple years later, they got pregnant. They couldn't get pregnant before they adopted me, and then a couple years later, they get pregnant. How many times have you heard that story? And so they have my natural-born sister. Now, here's the amazing thing about adoption. I will inherit the same thing my natural-born sister inherits because I was adopted into the family. The theological basis for why we exist begins with the fact that when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, God, the rich Father, adopts you into His 
family and you receive an inheritance that belongs to his children. You're in his family. It's even better than that. Look at verse 22, chapter 1. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. This family we have been brought into through faith in Jesus Christ is a body that's intended to function together under the head, Jesus Christ. It's another image, family, body. And then the other image here is going to be developed as we read through the rest of Ephesians. But I want you to think about it in terms that the church is given the image of family and body so that we might understand we are meant to do this together. So let's read chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ. Do you hear what God has done for you? But don't miss that what God has done for you is communicated in terms of what God has done for us. Yes, God has saved you, but He has saved you to be a part of us so that through us, He might display His kindness to the world. You follow that? Okay, let's keep going. Chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants us to know something about who we are in His love for us so that we together might experience the fullness of God to be a display to the world. Look at verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do above, be, above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear that? God has poured out His riches on you as a father, adopting you into His family, which is a body with Christ as the head, the church. And the church is being worked in by the glorious riches of God so the church might realize how much God loves her so that the glory of God might be displayed in the church for the sake of the world. Have you ever been to a yogurt shop, frozen yogurt shop? I remember the first time Lindley and I went into a frozen yogurt shop. Very first time. You walk in, you get the lay of the land. I'm salivating. 
I like ice cream or yogurt. So I'm ready to get in. And what you see when you get in there is you see these sample cups available at each of the yogurt stations. And then you see these big cups available at the beginning of the line you're supposed to go through and get the yogurt, right? You've been in, in this situation where you go in and you're supposed to use the small cups to get samples of yogurt. And you're supposed to sample the yogurt with the intent that you decide exactly what you want in the big cup. So I'm getting the small cups and I'm strategically going to all the yogurt opportunities that I'm interested in and finding the ones that I'm narrowing down to so that I put in my big cup exactly what I want. I'm going about it because that's the way you're supposed to do it, right? Lindley, on the other hand, she's grabbing the small cups and she's filling up the small cups with the yogurts that she likes and wants to try. And at the end of us sampling all the yogurts, I'm going to get my big cup and she's not. I'm like, well, hey, what do you... What are you doing? Aren't you going to get the big cup? She goes, no, I'm full. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. That's not how this works. Like the reason they have the small cups is so we fill a big cup. Because if everybody comes in here and just fills the small cups, there's not going to be a frozen yogurt store for us to come to enjoy. The, the small cups are not what this store is about. It's the big cups. And if you get out of order what's primary here. We're not going to have frozen yogurt. Sweetheart, you're getting a big cup. You may only want a little in that big cup, but we got to stick with the system here because the small cup is secondary. We get that out of whack, it's all going to fall apart. So she gets a little bit in a big cup because that's the way you do it. Ephesians is telling us that the big cup is the church. The big cup is the church. Let me give you an example. When you get married, you get married with the aspirations, I want to be in a great marriage. I mean, nobody gets married and thinks, I'd really like to have a sorry marriage. I'd like this to go wrong from the very beginning. I mean, nobody does that. Everybody gets married and they say, I want to have a great marriage and when you first get married it's challenging right figuring out who each other is and all of a sudden because of the challenges and demands of marriage and the desire to have a great marriage marriage feels like a big cup now I believe that the church should help marriages flourish but a great marriage is never the end goal because marriage is a small cup, not the big cup. So yes, marriage is supposed to thrive in the church. Like the church is supposed to strengthen marriages. No question. The small cup's supposed to be filled up, but it's supposed to be filled up so that we know how to fill up the big cup. You see, the church was not created in the mind of God so that families would flourish. No, families were created in the mind of God so that the church would flourish. The big cup is the church. This is unfolded in Ephesians. Look, look, look with me over at chapter 5. 
starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, it sounds like initially we're talking about marriage, but keep in mind marriage is the little cup, not the big cup. So look what happens here. We've made a shift from talking about the little cup to talking about the big cup. And he says, Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Do you hear that? Yeah, Paul is talking about marriage, the little cup. But he's saying, hey, the way you do marriage as a Christian, is really a reflection of the way Jesus loves the church, the big cup. And the way I want you to think about the big cup is flavored by how you understand marriage, but what I'm really talking about here is bigger than the little cup. I want you to understand something about Jesus and the church. I'm not near as concerned about you understanding about something between husband and wife. Now look what he says, verse 28, in the same way husbands will love their wives as their own bodies. He keeps going through the marriage metaphor. And then look at verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his, his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. He's saying that marriage is an important little cup that helps us understand some things here. And the way you live out marriage in your daily life is supposed to be a display of Jesus' love for the church and the church's joyful submission to Jesus Christ who laid down His life for the church. So the way you do your marriage is not about your great marriage. The way you do your marriage is about the display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The little cup is in existence for the big cup. And Paul says, what I'm really talking about here when I talk about marriage is I'm really talking about Jesus and his bride. The, the big cup is the church. Revelation chapter 19 picks up on this imagery of the bride. If you want to flip over to Revelation 19, I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. Let us be glad. Give Him glory. Rejoice. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then He said to me, write this, Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. He picks up on this imagery of the bride of Christ and says, here's what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to be ready for the return of Christ. And its readiness is about its own sanctification, aligning their lives with who Jesus Christ is and His absolute rich love over them. 
And it's also about sending out the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride is making herself ready by getting ready in who she is for the return of the groom. And she's getting ready by sending out of an invite list so that everybody might also join the marriage celebration. The, the ready bride is why we exist. The, the only reason we are here is so that we might become like Christ in all that we are, all that we do, all that we have, so that the watching world might see and hear an invitation to the marriage supper of the land and join the family of God. We exist to be a ready bride. I think about where we live and I think about the fact that we live in a moment of time where where we live is changing. And in 50 years, people are going to be telling stories about why Williamson County is the way it is 50 years from now. And the stories they're going to be telling are the stories of what's happening right now. And I just figure that a ready bride makes everything better and that I'd like to be a part of the reason our church family is a part of that story. I'd like to see us see what God can do with our striving to be a ready bride that shapes the story that will be told in 50 years. Somebody's going to shape it. And I'm just, I'm just crazy enough to think that it ought to be us. It ought to be us. But, but we got to live for the big cup. The glory of Jesus Christ in the church. A ready bride. This last week I was, Lindley and I were over eating dinner with a new family in our church. He went over to get to know them and, and uh, before dinner uh, the guys went outside to do a little chore. And so we were walking outside and we walked all the way to this little field area. And I noticed as I'm walking up into this field area that there's this big vine on the ground. And it's got five big lush pumpkins. I'm ticked off. I asked him, I said, what's up with these pumpkins? How did you grow these? He goes, oh, they're wild. I don't know where they came from. <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't tell him the whole story. I just, la I just start laughing and say, that's funny. And I'm sure he's thinking, what's so funny about this? It's a terrible moment. And then it hit me. He's new to our church family, brand new, been here less than a year. He's a part of my family. I'm a part of his family. Those are my pumpkins. <laughs> he had what I didn't have. But because we're part of the fa family, part of the same body, we're part of the bride, we're getting ready, and just so happens I got some pumpkins. <laughs> this whole thing's not meant to be done except together we're supposed to do it together and, and if we're not willing to take the next step together our vision's going to die on the vine and that story will not be told if you've ever planned a wedding you, you have a wedding planning checklist 
and I think it might be something from Satan. <laughs> it, it's crazy to walk through a wedding planning checklist. But if you don't have a checklist, you're not going to have a ready bride. You ever been a part of a story where a bride and groom are set to get married and the day of the wedding, the bride is not ready? I've been a part of a story like that. I saw that happen with somebody I knew in college. And let me just tell you, you don't want to be a part of that story. So I want you to think about a wedding planning checklist as the bride of Christ. I'm just going to give you your first three items on the checklist today. Item number one, salvation. There's some of you in this room, I suspect you believe you're a part of the family, part of the body, part of the bride. But I want you to test yourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Test yourselves and see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. You do not want to come to the wedding supper of the Lamb and be told, I'm sorry, I never knew you. And, and I don't want you to assume that that's already checked off on your wedding planning list. You need to look at that box and you need to ask yourself, Have I made the decision that I will follow Jesus Christ no matter what? That I will not be turned away from Christ because of some desire to keep my image right. I will not be turned away from following Christ because of fear. I will not be turned away from following Christ because I want something different than he wants. I have decided to follow him. I've yielded my life to him. I've surrendered to him. He has bought me with the riches of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and I'm ready to follow him. As best as you know how, if you've not made that decision, you've not yet checked off that box. And I'm inviting you to get ready for the marriage. Second box, baptism. There are a lot of people um, in our church family that have decided to follow Christ. And they're seeking to follow Christ and they've not yet been baptized. And I just want to tell you, it's one of the most Clear steps of obedience in the decision of following Christ because it is your way to display after placing faith in Christ that you are publicly aligning your life with Jesus. It's a prescribed way by Jesus Christ to be immersed in water as a public confession. I'm aligning my life with Jesus Christ. If you've not been baptized, you're not ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And if you're not ready, we're not ready. And our mission is to get ready. Third box. Connecting with the family. Are you connecting with the family like you should be? There are two ways I'd like you to think about that. One is in terms of membership. And the other is in terms of community. Have you made the decision to join our family as members so that you are deciding, I am following the Lord with this local body of believers so that this body of believers can become ready for the return of Christ and issue one invitation after another for others to join us. Membership. And then community. Are you connecting with a small group of believers in our church family who can help you find God 
and follow him so that you are better equipped to help others find God and follow him. That kind of life change does not happen like it should outside of small groups and being honest and authentic with other believers. There's your three checklists, salvation, baptism, connecting with the family. All I'm asking us to do today is consider our very first steps. On your worship guide on the front side, you can see two highlighted boxes, launching and learning. We're going to unpack over this month five categories that will enable you to think about your next first steps. Maybe you're launching today. This is new for you, and you're ready to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's a great next step. Maybe you've never been baptized. You're like, I need to do that. That's a launch. I'm going to try this. Maybe, maybe you've only come to church a few times, and, and you're ready to do more. You say, I want to come maybe another another. Sunday or another Wednesday, just try things out. You're launching with your time. Maybe it's your, your skill set. You say, hey, I've never volunteered in the church as a part of the family. I'd like to launch into an opportunity to volunteer with my time. I've never decided that I'm going to support the church's mission because it's my mission and I want my resources to go to that. You've never decided I'm going to consistently give and today you say, I'm going to take that next step. I'm going to launch. Or maybe you say, I've already launched and I want to learn how to do more. I want to learn about how to get more involved in a small group. I want to learn more about how to commit to an area of ministry for the rest of the year where I can volunteer in my leadership. And I want to move from where I add in my giving more towards a consistent level of support that's really described as this is the way the church family supports the mission of the family. We just want you to think in the terms of those categories, taking the next step. We're going to mobilize you to do that over the next month. And here's the reason why. Because there's a day coming when Jesus Christ will return for his bride. And I want us to be ready. And if we're becoming ready, then the story that's told about Williamson County and FBG will be a story to the glory of God.